last week on the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. No, 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 That's not how this works. You don't throw in cliches on purpose to play a character that you think I want you to play. I don't want you doing that. Never do that. That was obvious that you were acting there and throwing in a cliche for effect. Never do that. The listeners of this show deserve better. When you give us cliches, it needs to come from the heart. And but the film, dude, nobody can deny it. I don't I can't explain it. Nobody can explain it. I don't think he's that talented. Oh my goodness gracious. And instead of saying Jason Verrett, you said Jason Garrett. Did I say Jason Garrett instead of Verrett? That would be a hole in the secondary right there if they had Jason Garrett out there. And I think that Mike Williams pick was the worst pick by an NFL general manager since Jeff Ireland selected Deion Jordan. And no, there isn't a deeper metaphor there. And I'm up in the air. Oh, it's a 360 windmill slam. Corey Davis 101. And is this the time when you think people start masturbating to the show? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Liss. You can find me on Twitter at an outraged Jew. And with me is Mr. Matt Kelly. You can find him on Twitter at fantasy underscore mansion. What's going on, Matt? How are you doing tonight? Not great. Not great. What is going on? Just had the talk with my wife about Mother's Day. Mm. Mm-hmm. and received some pretty strong passive-aggressive pressure to knock it out of the park on Mother's Day. This came out of nowhere. I thought I had a great plan in place. Flowers were to be bought. I was going to buy some croissant at the French bakery to make a breakfast. I thought it was going to be great. But she ratcheted up the stakes today by reminding me that her last birthday party was underwhelming. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she confronted me by saying, do you even remember where the birthday was hosted? Because I was the one that arranged it. And I s- looked at my daughter. And I said, can you anything, anything, Viv, Vivian, anything? You got? Do you remember? She's like, was it at Nana's? And then I looked over at my wife and she was shaking her head. And I had absolutely nothing. I was a blank slate. Could not remember where the birthday party was. And I just shook my head. And I said, okay, we'll we'll figure this out. So I had to huddle with my daughter and get it figured out. And I was like, okay, I know you've got some things in mind already. You keep talking to me about these things and that you have ready. You have them holstered. You have these ideas ready to fire. I'm all ears. Just tell me what you got. She's bought a notepad. She bought a notepad. And I was like, okay, great. Notepad, that's a good start. What else you got? What else you got? I, I picked some flowers, but they're dead. <laughs> okay, that's... fine. Okay, the flowers are a no-go. But what else? What else? What else? And then just blank slate, just nothing. Just, she, that was it. That was all she had. So I thought she had a bunch of, of great ideas in the inventory, and she did not. Uh, I was pretty much maxed out in terms of what I had planned. So now we have to go back to the drawing board because the stakes are high, my friend. The stakes are high this Mother's Day. I'm freaking out, man. You don't have a lot of time. I mean, here here's the thing. While we're admitting this, before we got on Skype, I was looking up Mother's Day gifts because I was planning on going with the flowers and doing the breakfast. And then, you know, whatever she wanted to do for that day, we would go do. And I thought, look, 
I know Mother's Day and Father's Day tend to be a bit routine, right? You sort of have a routine. My mom, we always went to the Rose Garden in Oregon and walked it and did all this stuff because she was really into it. My wife, I've tried to make a routine or something she likes, and we did it annually. That's nice. Then you know what to do. Then everyone has an expectation. That's what I thought, but I've been waiting way too long. And today is Thursday. Tomorrow is Friday. Mother's Day is Sunday. You can't. Sunday is off. Sunday is off. You can't do anything Sunday unless you're going to rush out Sunday morning. So that leaves tomorrow and Saturday. And I don't have anything either, so don't feel bad. Oh, you're... <laughs> Nothing. You're just... You just have one of those guns, and when it shoots, it just... A, a flag with the word bang comes out. Uh, yeah. That's all you have in terms of Mother's Day ammunition for me? Just bang. That's it. Currently. I No, I'm just trying... I'm trying to help you clear your conscience because I'm behind where you are. I haven't even talked to my daughter about what ideas she has. I know she made something at school. I thought that was the case. I imagine there was some project from school that we could incorporate into a larger gift, but I'm looking at the notepad right now, and, and it's nice. It's a beautiful notepad, but we're, we're going to have to do better than that. Right. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's dangerous territory to come unprepared, and uh, fortunately for me, I haven't had the stakes raised on me. Sort of have that expectation of what we did last year. It's like Christmas for dad gets underwear and socks. Sucks. I mean, I was blindsided. This was not something I expected. Now, my whole Saturday is going to be devoted to this project, which is fine. Totally fine. But I do have an objection. I mean, this idea that we have every three months something new that the calendar has thrust upon us. Some new set of gifts that must be formally presented. A Mother's Day. The birthday. The Christmas. The anniversary. It's hard, man. This calendar. I am a slave to this holiday calendar enough can't it just be extemporaneous can't it just be when i'm feeling in a loving mood i do something nice or i buy something nice do i have to feel like i have the yoke of the calendar around my neck <laughs> well here's the thing and i've tried to add the the stability to this with my wife we too much well look you got what valentine's day in there i forgot about valentine's day holy shit that's five you didn't even mention your anniversary. I mentioned anniversary. You're not listening. Ah, uh, no. <laughs> you weren't listening. Okay. We'll go play it back. I'm going to find it and play it back. We'll play it back. I think you missed it. We're going to go ahead and play that clip back. But I did absolutely say anniversary. The Christmas. The anniversary. The Christmas. The anniversary. Regardless, great pull with Valentine's Day. So that's five. That's almost once every two months we have to go to the drawing board with this package of gifts and events for a loved one. And it's just too much. It's way too much. Let it be spontaneous. How can it be spontaneous when it's every two months I need to think of something new? When do I have time to think of something spontaneous? Tell me this. I mean, it's too much. I agree. I've been bitching about the calendar for years. I am tired of it. We should hack that thing back to like three months. Oh. Let's have... No, three months. Every every six months, there should be a big deal event. But Mother's Day, please. Uh, yeah. Valentine's Day, get out of here. Have you ever tried this one? Have you ever said, look, you know when you have the holiday that's a his and her holidays, you know, and go, look, you don't have to do anything big for me on Father's Day. And I'm kind of hoping that you're understanding that what I'm saying is on Mother's Day, we're not going to do anything huge either. You know what I mean? Like, let's reel it back a little bit. I don't want to go out of my way on Valentine's Day. Yeah, that was a big deal when I was 15 or we first started dating. 
we know we've been married seven, eight years now. I don't remember how many years it is. She doesn't listen to this podcast. Anyways, the she point doesn't? is, I don't think, well, I mean, when I show her clips of it and stuff, me getting. You play clips for her? I have played clips for her of this show. Uh, there's some hilarious moments in this show that you just have to share with people. Of course. Of course. I'm, I'm glad that she has sampled some of your, I guess, failures. Right. Well, here's it's a small sample size. We can't totally tell. Because most of the highlights of the show revolve around you making mistakes or you getting berated. Those uh, seem to be the best moments. There are some good ones. And uh, I think she's heard a majority of them. So she's well aware of the dynamic that takes place on this show. Well good, aware. Good. Yeah. She's yeah. like, did you do a ball check afterward? No. I mean, she'll look for them. You know, sometimes they're they're pulled up real high. You know, you never know, never know what kind of day it is. They don't have that summer hang like they normally would. Summer hang, <laughs> dude! Get out of here! Stop it! Why do you always go a step beyond what is appropriate or what anyone wants to hear? God! No, the, the gross listeners know it. That is gross. We're transitioning towards the the June July weather. Get out of here! No one wants to visualize your seasonal ball hang. <laughs> seasonal, it's great. Yeah, no, it is. We're we're transitioning back into it. Yeah, right on, man. Well, we're getting there. So, yep, that's uh, that's life over here on the West Coast. <laughs> Let's talk about the NFL draft. How about that? Yeah, let's do that. That's the default. Just the the ripcord that I pull when I just need to get out of this conversation. Oh, the NFL draft happened. Oh, uh, who were the big winners? Who were the big losers? That's a good topic. Yeah, of course. Always. Well, what would you say if I told you that on the Detroit Lions, the big winners were Amir Abdullah and Eric Ebron? I would say they were the biggest winners. I think that's the under the radar winning offense for incumbents. We thought Joe Mixon might go there. We thought Dalvin Cook could end up in Detroit. They both visited. Detroit was interested in both O.J. Howard and David Njoku, and none of those picks came to fruition. Detroit focused on defense, did not invest much in the offense on draft day, and if you own Amir Abdullah, it's wheels up. You own Eric Ebron, it's wheels up. Yeah, and it's good for Eric Ebron. I mean, there was a lot of pressure on him to succeed in Detroit, and I think people have felt like he wasn't meeting expectations, and he wasn't necessarily doing that. But by Detroit saying, look, we're not going to spend a first-round pick on Njoku, we're not going to spend it on O.J. Howard, they're they're investing again in Eric Ebron and saying, look, this is your year, Anquan Bolden is gone, this offense didn't go and get a playmaker wide receiver on the outside, so it's still kind of Golden Tate, and what will Marvin Jones be? So this could be the year that Eric Ebron really does take a step forward. I mean, in 2016, he only played 13 games, 85 targets, 61 catches, so not a terrible season, but if we see Eric Ebron... It was a good season. It was. It was a good season. He posted 54.7 receiving yards per game. That was top five in the NFL. So one of the under-the-radar quality seasons by a tight end was Eric Ebron last year. Positive production premium, positive target premium, and his yards per target, 8.4, number 13 in the NFL last year. And he wasn't dropping passes. His drop pass rate was 7%. That's slightly above average. That's not a big deal. But his catch rate, 72%. So 17th in the league. So he was top 20 in a bunch of efficiency metrics, top five in some raw counting stats. 
at 23 years old last year. So he did that at 23 years old. The worst thing that ever happened to Eric Ebron was being a top 10 pick. You don't want to be a top 10 pick as a tight end. It's a awful precedent to set for a tight end because the tight end position takes years to learn because you have to learn all the blocking techniques that offensive linemen have to learn and you have to learn all of the route running and receiving skills that the wide receivers are expected to master. So you are playing two positions simultaneously depending on the situation. That's why the tight end position has an elongated development curve. It's easier for quarterbacks to play right away than for tight ends, for Christ's sake. But if you're a top 10 pick, the expectation is thrust upon you that you will be a starter in week one as a rookie, and that sets you up for failure. So Eric Ebron has persevered despite being set up for failure, and now going into his age 24 season, I think he's ready to truly break out and become an every week top five producer, given the fact that that is a thin depth chart in the receiving core. You've got Golden Tate, you've got Marvin Jones, and that's about it. And the nice thing about Eric Ebron opposed to Amir Abdullah, so Amir Abdullah misses a majority of last season, but you really haven't gotten a discount on his price tag. With Eric Ebron, I feel like... Amir Abdullah's price has been leaking dollars the last two years. It's just been a slow decline as you see him start going around later and around later and around later in Dynasty Startups. He's absolutely a tremendous value right now in Dynasty Startups. Yeah, I I still don't think, though, that Amir Abdullah has lost any of that sheen that was on him from the beginning. I mean, his his rookie year was a rookie year, and it wasn't that bad by all accounts. He missed a lot of last year. Detroit added nothing behind him. Zach Zenner was okay. Dwayne Washington was just a guy. I mean, I don't feel like he lost his place on the depth chart at all. Dwayne Washington was just a guy that's being kind to Dwayne Washington. He was whatever is the bottom. For players getting number two back touches, Dwayne Washington was the worst in the NFL. And if there was any reason that Amir Abdullah has been losing some value at all, it's because Theo Riddick's role in the offense. If Theo Riddick wasn't there, and let's say that they just tried to get by with Zenner and Dwayne Washington, I don't think Amir Abdullah, his value deflates at all. But I think because of Theo Riddick's role as that high-end pass catcher and Amir Abdullah's injury, I think there has been a slight discount. But I primarily put that on Theo Riddick than I do Amir Abdullah. I think Amir Abdullah is a great value because in his rookie year, he was pretty elusive. 29.8 juke rate, that's number 26 in the NFL in 2015. And then in 2016, very limited snaps. I understand that. Two games, but 6.9 yards per touch. He was very good and elusive and looked the part of a primary back in the NFL last season before he was hurt. We loved Amir Abdullah coming out of Nebraska. Why? 37% dominator rating, 80th percentile, 6.1 yards per carry, and 98th percentile and 98th percentile burst and agility, respectively, to go with 24 bench reps at 225, 81st percentile. That's how you get to a 138.7, 98th percentile Spark X score. If Amir Abdullah were to come out this year in this running back class, he would be 
the third or fourth running back off the board in rookie drafts after Leonard Fournette, after Christian McCaffrey, and perhaps after Joe Mixon. There would be a conversation. Who's better, Joe Mixon or Amir Abdullah? In that context, he's a tremendous value because he's essentially starting over after the lost season. Treat him like a rookie. Yeah, and that's exactly what you have to do is treat him like a rookie. And and when we talk about how we evaluate players and when we consider sample size, he's not that far removed from where Thomas Rawls was in 2015 in terms of total carries. So if we said that Thomas Rawls' production in 2015 was a small sample size and, and we can't completely use it to evaluate him and say this is the guy, then when you look at Amir Abdullah, you kind of have to treat it the same because it's nearly identical usage. However, well, you're right. That's what we did. We said we need to go back to Central Michigan and recall what we believe Thomas Rawls was in college, not impressed. So that's what we do with Amir Abdullah. We don't have a big professional sample size. So we go back to his college resume and we recall what kind of back he was in college. He was a phenom. So that's how I'm evaluating Amir Abdullah by hearkening back to his college resume and remembering, oh shit, this guy was incredibly productive at Nebraska and went on and shredded the combine. Do not forget that. Now, another guy that essentially won the NFL draft Marcus Mariota. How could you argue with this? Marcus Mariota not only received an incredible upgrade in his weaponry, getting Corey Davis, getting Taewon Taylor, and don't forget Jonu Smith, the tight end. He now has the long-term answer at tight end, the future replacement of Delani Walker in Jonu Smith. So not only does he have a general upgrade, in his weaponry, Marcus Mariota received the two receivers in this draft that fit his skill set the best. We all agree. Corey Davis's best case landing spot before the draft. We agree. Tennessee Titans. Perfect fit with Marcus Mariota. Why? Corey Davis is a technician. He's a great route runner. He specializes in gaining separation and securing passes. Well, that's exactly what Marcus Mariota asks of his receivers because he has to see receivers open before he throws passes because he's so careful with the football. That's Corey Davis. But also, look at Taewon Taylor. Taewon Taylor's best comparable player on playerprofiler.com is Doug Baldwin. And who loves Doug Baldwin? Russell Wilson. And who looks a lot like Russell Wilson? Marcus Mariota. So Marcus Mariota now has his Doug Baldwin in the slot in the form of Taewon Taylor. And Rashard Matthews isn't going away. Rashard Matthews is a prototypical flanker, and he specializes in being a great run blocker and being one of the league's best possession receivers. So now Marcus Mariota has the optimal talent configuration across the board. You have Corey Davis at X. Ding! You have Rashard Matthews at Z. Ding! You have Taewon Taylor at Y. Ding! You have Delani Walker at tight end. Ding! You have Jonu Smith in the slot if you need him. Ding! Whatever. If no one's open, Mariota runs it. It's just ideal. I can see Marcus Mariota now translating his exceptional efficiency that he's posted in back-to-back years, starting to translate that into more production with higher volume. The Tennessee Titans have told us, with the weapons they've added, that they are ready to unleash Marcus Mariota every week. That they're not going to be a conservative, run-the-ball-between-the-tackles team. That they're going to allow Marcus Mariota to go out and win games for them. That's what they're telling you with these draft picks. And this is exciting because when a player with that kind of efficiency and that kind of mobility is allowed to run his own offense and set his own tempo, 
That's how top five quarterbacks are made. And that's not even that's not even the end of the excitement for the Tennessee Titans because we haven't talked about DeMarco Murray with a couple of years left. We have Derrick Henry who's behind him that's going to emerge at some point as the guy. So you're going to have the ability. It's an incredibly efficient offense. It is. I mean, you're, you're going to have weapons everywhere. You can always make throws out of the backfield. Last year you had DeMarco Murray had 53 catches. Derrick Henry had 13. So the running back out of the backfield is still going to be a weapon for this team. It's exciting to see what this offense will do going forward. Rich Rebar calls that dealer's choice. Mm. Marcus Mariota on any given down and distance is going to have dealer's choice. Yeah, it's an incredible amount of weapons, <sighs> especially when you look at Rashard Matthews coming on so strong last year too. And, and you know, Delaney Walker's always been solid there. So, who knows? He could have he could have the best season of his career, which isn't surprising. He's only been in the league a few years, but 3,400 pass yards last year. He might be looking close to 38, maybe 4,000 if they ask him to throw the ball enough. And this is kind of what we saw with Russell Wilson. Right. Slowly going forward, a little more usage. We talked about it with Teddy Bridgewater. We thought, okay, look, they're going to expand the playbook. It's not the quarterback that's going to come in and sling it. Why are you talking about Teddy Bridgewater right now? You stick with the positives. Stick with the best case comparables. You had it with Russell Wilson. Why are you doing this? Right, right. You're giving me blue balls with this Teddy Bridgewater business. Get out of here. Focus on Russell Wilson. Yes, Russell Wilson. Yes, mobile quarterback. Efficient passer. Yes, 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 yes. With Russell Wilson, obviously you saw him, his growth every year. They added 5% onto the last year's attempts and so on. And he's gone from there and he's become a great passer. And with Mariota, like you mentioned, he's, he's such a cautious passer. And I think he'll get away from that a little bit as he goes forward when he gains more confidence. He doesn't need to. That's the beauty of it. It's like they made his ideal receivers in a lab. If you made the ideal X for Marcus Mariota, it would look exactly like Corey Davis. The ideal Z looks exactly like Rashard Matthews. And the ideal Y looks exactly like Taewon Taylor. I am so excited to see this offense operate. Yeah, I agree. The, the, the offense is great. They spent the draft capital to get the players that they needed around them. And again, we haven't even seen Derrick Henry really get a chance yet. Oh my God, you're right about that. I forget about that sometimes. We haven't actually seen Derrick Henry unleashed either. These are two players in Marcus Mariota and Derrick Henry that I believe can translate lower volume efficiency into high volume efficiency. The cold fusion players of the NFL. There are very few of them. Russell Wilson's one of them. And Marcus Mariota and Derrick Henry could also be that. Well, let's move on to another group then. Let's talk about the Chicago Bears and wide receiver Cameron Meredith. I think that was an upgrade for him. I absolutely believe that Mitchell Trubisky is a better quarterback right now. Not in two years, right now. He's a significant upgrade over Mike Glennon. Because the idea that you were going to start the season with Mike Glennon at quarterback was a travesty, was a reason I was considering trading Cameron Meredith. Because I own Cameron Meredith in every dynasty league. Why? Because I was the original Cameron Meredith tout. No one else but me can claim Cameron Meredith. Anyone else tells you they discovered Cameron Meredith, they are lying. Because it was Matt Kelly, it was the podfather himself, who gave you Cameron Meredith last summer, and I don't want to hear anyone else <laughs> coming in behind me and drafting off of my tout. I am the original Cameron Meredith truther. Now, my confidence in Cameron Meredith was waning thinking about 
him receiving passes from Mike Glennon because Mike Glennon's throwing arm generates 49 miles per hour of football velocity. That's third percentile. That's Deshaun Watson level bad. His QBR in college at NC State, 54.9, fifth percentile. So he has this horrific combination of inefficiency at the college level and a lack of physical tools. This is not someone that deserves to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. I question whether or not Mike Glennon is an above average backup. I think if we were ranking all the backups 1 through 32, Mike Glennon would be the bottom half of the backups in the NFL. The fact that the Chicago Bears gave him $18 million this year is the equivalent of a cat burglar heist. I mean, I feel like if anyone should be wearing a black mask over their eyes, under their helmet, it should absolutely be Mike Glennon because he is a thief stealing money from an NFL team. Good job, by the way. Fuck NFL teams. (laughs) Hoarding all the cash for themselves, not giving enough to the players, holding back money from players with concussion symptoms later in life. Fuck them. Good for you, Mike Glennon. But it would not have been good for Cameron Meredith because Cameron Meredith's numbers would have suffered with Mike Glennon. Now with Mitchell Trubisky, he at least has adequate arm strength and was very efficient at North Carolina. So he was up there in that 90th percentile college QBR and over 10 yards per attempt. So he was prolific. He was efficient. That one season at North Carolina was very good. That's, hello, why he was the number two pick. I just question whether or not Mitchell Trubisky would have regressed if he had come back because he would have lost Matt Collins. He would have lost Bug Howard. He would have lost Ryan Switzer. So I believe he was propped up by his supporting cast but a significant upgrade over Mike Glennon. So I am now back hoarding as much Cameron Meredith as possible. This was a team that let Alshon Jeffrey go in free agency and doesn't have an alpha receiver on this roster. Can you not clear your throat into the microphone? Do you realize I have to edit those out later? I tried not to. I apologize. I'll, I'll hit the mute button next time. I don't know. I can't help it. It's just that summertime stuff that's going on right now. We're starting to transition. Things are things are going awry over here. So, <clears throat> Alshon, Jeff- <clears throat> Alshon Jeffrey goes to the Eagles. So, again, they don't have they don't have a dominant receiver on the outside. Somebody needs to ascend to that role. I know the Chicago Bears want Kevin White to be that guy. You don't spend the pick that they spent on Kevin White and want him to be a number two. They want him to be the guy, and this is the season that he needs to show that he can be that player because he has the physical tools. Who? But like we said before... Who? Who do you think has the physical tools? Kevin White has the physical tools, but I've said it a million times. I don't think Kevin White is a great football player, and we talked about this all... There you go. That's all you need to say. You don't need to talk about the physical tools and physical schmools. doesn't matter. He has the physical tools. I'm just saying. I've seen lots of receivers with great physical tools that have done nothing. Nothing. Less than nothing. Lots of physical tools done absolutely nothing. You know who has great physical tools? Jehu Chesson. Think Jehu Chesson is going to make it in the NFL? No. I don't know. I just know that Kevin White's going into like his like inaugural rookie season here at his age 29. And so he needs to get something together. 79. I don't know. It might be 79 by now. So I, 
this team, in support of Meredith here, this team needs a guy to ascend. Meredith proved that he can play a significant role in this offense. They lost Alshon. You've got a rookie quarterback. He's probably going to be looking to the tight end and look to the first receiver that he really gets a bond with and somebody that he's clicking with. Yes. And I think that's a great shot for Cameron Meredith to maintain this role going into this year. So despite the fact that Chicago is going to heavily push for Kevin White to be that guy. I think there'll be some some nice volume there. I think the Chicago offense could be better than advertised with such a good run-blocking offensive line with Jordan Howard playing so well last year. Their defense is improving. It's one of those sneaky teams. I think they'll be better than Vegas has them projected to be, even though I think it was a horrific blunder trading up to get Mitchell Trubisky at that slot when you could have had Deshaun Kaiser in the second round. But I think the Chicago Bears are going to be good in spite of the suboptimal draft picks by their team, by their front office. Now, we talked about Marcus Mariota. The quarterback drafted one spot ahead of him. Jameis Winston also received a boon on draft day. How happy is Jameis Winston right now? He might be the happiest quarterback in the universe. I mean, if if you think that Mariota got an upgrade, I, I don't know. I, I feel like this upgrade was right there. I mean, this is incredible. He got a tight end in O.J. Howard. That's an absolute game changer. Playmaker, can block, can get out on passing routes, extremely athletic. So we're sure O.J. Howard's good, even though he wasn't particularly productive at Alabama. Okay, I just wanted to say this. There was a great interview with Nick Saban. It was at the draft, and they asked Nick to you know, say some stuff about O.J. Howard. And being the complimentary coach that he is, of course, says good things. But he said, you know, I really feel bad because I wished we had used O.J. more as an offensive weapon because he's so good. I feel like we underperformed using him. And I want people to know that he is a great playmaker and some team that takes him tonight is, is going to get that player. So Otarius Jabari Howard. <laughs> he he was a great. OK, he had those games where he broke out. and You saw his ceiling, right? You saw the national championship game. You saw his ceiling. I actually didn't watch that game. OK, well, you can always go back and watch it again. I don't watch the games because it makes me biased. I don't even know. I don't even know what that means. What do you mean with prospects? I don't watch the games because the more games I watch, the more biased I become. If I watch one player's games, I need to watch all the players' games. And if I can't watch all the UTEP games to see and fully appreciate Aaron Jones, I can't watch any games. I I am not getting on board with that. But nonetheless, O.J. Howard showed you his ceiling. and, And his ceiling... You know that I'm lying, right? You can't tell what I'm lying? Yeah, I know. I'm just gonna go... No, I'm just sidestepping it. Are you serious? No, I'm just totally sidestepping it to make this point. I, yeah, it, there's no way. You, you've got to be a, a neutral party here. You're starting to learn how to act like a bullfighter and allow me just to run through your waving cape. You sidestep to get your point in because all you're trying to do is get your point in. The last thing you want to happen is for me to crowd out the point that you want to make and derail the show and then you never get to make the important observation that you had ready to go on OJ Howard. Right. It's like it's like a tornado sucking everything into it. It's sucking barns in and cows in and tractors and right? <laughs> Everything's swirling up in the sky and I just want to make my point. So this is what I'm talking about. And then you get sucked into the Matt Kelly tornado to never be heard from again. Your topics die. What other animals are in the tornado besides cows? Chickens, goats. I would do a goat. 
Oh, God. So, anyways, yeah, Marcus Mariota. <laughs> oh, God. And this was a team in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that desperately needed a Ow. wide receiver to add to this Ow. offense. Oh, my God. Is there a cat in the tornado? Is that what makes sense? Rescue him. Right. I'll, I'll go in. I'll go in. So back to the point, sidestepping, a little ole, arms go up, <laughs> Kelly goes by. This was a team that desperately needed another playmaker. Mike Evans had 173 targets last year. That's a lot of usage for one guy. The second most targeted player in this offense last year, Adam Humphreys with 83. So they go out, oh. they get one of the best contested catchers. He'll never see that target share ever again. No way. Adam, if you're out there listening to this show, you will never, and I repeat, never, ever, as in ever, 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 get that kind of target share ever again. It's amazing. It's in 15 games too. But so they go out, they get Chris Godwin. Ah, oh. And they add a viable, athletic, physical playmaker to the outside opposite Mike Evans to give Jameis Winston the offense that he's needed for a while. They added a solid tight end in the draft. They added Chris Godwin. You've got Mike Evans. You're going to finally have a healthy Charles Sims out of the backfield, even though they drafted our guy. Don't forget about Deshaun Jackson. And Deshaun Jackson. So you've got you've got your stretch receivers. Oh. You've got your vertical players. You've got the big playmaker in the middle. Guys out of the backfield. I, I mean, dealer's choice, again. It's the same principle that we talked about in Tennessee. If you brought Jameis Winston to a laboratory and said, we're going to make all of the receivers that fit with your skill set in a lab. Here you go. You have the alpha X receiver, throw it up to him at any moment, and he can bring it down with an upper percentile catch radius in Mike Evans. We have the best field stretcher in the last 10 years, a field stretcher with real actual ball skills. We have OJ Howard down the seam. Very few players have OJ Howard's athleticism and ball skills. We have Charles Sims out of the backfield. And, oh, oh by the way, Jeremy McNichols. So you're going to have two of the best satellite backs in the league, even though we know Jeremy McNichols is better than just a satellite back. He's more than just a satellite back. And then you add Chris Godwin. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Because Chris Godwin's also ideally suited to play with Jameis Winston because Chris Godwin led all college receivers in contested catch conversion rate last year. Jameis Winston is the anti-Marcus Mariota. Jameis Winston has no problem throwing to receivers in traffic. Jameis Winston lives to throw receivers open. This is what he wants to do in life. And Chris Godwin is incredible at converting catches in traffic. You put him underneath in that slot roll. Oh, he's going to vacuum up inaccurate targets underneath. It's perfect. It's just so perfect. It's just pinch me perfect. Would anyone be surprised to see Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota in the top five fantasy quarterbacks this year? If you would be surprised by that, then you need to get out more, buddy. I don't think it's a, a pipe dream at all because these teams invested in the offenses, you don't go get receivers and playmakers like this if you don't intend to have your quarterbacks Wheels up. using them. Wheels here's, up. Here's the thing, though. I, I do want to say this. Adding Wheels up. Adding O.J. Howard Wheels to this up. offense was a big help, not just because they haven't had a stable tight end in a while. And we'll talk about Cameron Brait later. Psh, are we ready for takeoff? Psh, 
this is a team that Fast really hasn't been effective running the ball. And, and that's a big thing because they yeah, need to be effective pickoff. running the ball. I'm, see, I'm just going to work right through this. They need to be effective running the ball if the pass game is going to be effective too. Can you, you stop talking about the run game? No one cares about the run game on these it's teams. It's a big deal. We just want them to be playing from behind and no. throw, 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 throw. That's how fantasy points are generated. We don't care about the run game. Forget the run game. We hope their defense is terrible and that they're constantly playing from behind and they have to throw the ball 45 times a game. That's what we want across all our teams with significant fantasy assets in the passing game. You still need a run game for the pass game to be effective, though, and that's the point that I'm making. No! Oh, stop it. That's a fallacy. Okay, they're gonna be they're gonna put more guys in coverage if the run game. Tell that to Allen Robinson owners from 2015. What about Allen Robinson? He was great, but he's a great. Play- they did not have a run game in 2015 in Jacksonville, and it only helped Allen Robinson. Allen Robinson had to jump 27 feet in the air and eight feet to the left to catch the ball and stay in bounds. Get out of here. The defense does not help the run game, and the run game does not help the pass game. Those are fallacies. Get out of here. But I can tell you one interesting principle about target share that I think we can make an exception for in a couple cases. The law of the conservation of targets. Normally, when someone says, well, this team added a great receiver, and because they added a great receiver, the other receiver on the team will benefit because the receiver that was added is going to command the respect of the defense. So Deshaun Jackson going to Tampa Bay is a good thing for Mike Evans. It's going to open up the field for Mike Evans. It's going to make him more efficient because of the presence of Deshaun Jackson. Normally, that's false logic. Normally, for any additional efficiency gained through the addition of a new, exciting receiver that's going to command targets, the volume lost will more than outweigh the efficiency gains. However, I think there are a couple exceptions. I think in Tampa, Deshaun Jackson's presence will absolutely help Mike Evans because the targets he received last year were often grossly mistargeted, and in almost every case, he was double-covered. So I think the presence of Deshaun Jackson will help keep drives alive, create more scoring chances for Mike Evans, and I do think because Deshaun Jackson is a unique field stretcher in the league, that he is one of a handful of specific wide receivers in the league that actually do help the other receivers around them. It's a very rare skill set. Deshaun Jackson does not command a significant target share, yet he helps the other receivers in the offense. In that way, he's very much the anti-Jarvis Landry. Jarvis Landry commands targets while not stretching the field. Deshaun Jackson's the opposite. He does not command targets, but he stretches the field and he makes the other receivers in the passing game more efficient. So I think that's an exception to the law of the conservation of targets, Deshaun Jackson going to Tampa Bay. I think the other example in the league you can point to where the receiver's specific skill set and profile make him an exception to the law of the conservation of targets, it's in Cincinnati. It's John Ross. I think A.J. Green was the great winner of this draft that no one is talking about. By having John Ross on the outside as opposed to Brandon LaFell, that will absolutely help A.J. Green. And by investing in John Ross, the Bengals are telling you, we are pivoting. We're no longer going to be a run-oriented offense. Our offensive line has been degraded over the last couple years. We're now one of the worst run-blocking units 
They continue to lose quality offensive linemen every offseason, and they're not bolstering them with new offensive linemen in the draft. So we can look forward to a below-average run-blocking unit in Cincinnati, and that means Cincinnati will have to skew more pass-heavy, more attempts for Andy Dalton, more targets on a per-game basis for A.J. Green. And the presence of John Ross and his route tree will allow A.J. Green to be even more prolific and efficient. So I believe that Andy Dalton and A.J. Green were big winners from this draft, both because the team gained an asset in John Ross that will have some of the same qualities that Deshaun Jackson brings to the table, and it also signaled a change in offensive philosophy. And this is another one of those teams that's heavily loaded on the offensive side of the ball post-draft. Like you brought up, Joe Mixon's there. You've got John Ross there. A.J. Green, who's had some injuries over the past couple years, but when healthy is still solidly one of the top 10 receivers, if not better than that. And then you've got the run game that needed work, and you got Mixon in there. So with Eifert on the outside, there's so many options in this offense. But the one thing that you know about Cincinnati is A.J. Green is always going to be the alpha. He's going to get his 9 to 10 targets a game. He's still going to be the go-to receiver. But yeah, with John Ross's ability and speed on the outside, you're going to open up a lot of stuff for A.J. Green. And A.J. Green's yards after the catch were always great. So things can get better for A.J. Green. He just needs to stay healthy. Finally, the pressure is off a little bit for A.J. All these years when he's been double teamed and they've tried to add players around him and the run game's been deficient. If Joe Mixon becomes that Le'Veon Bell light, can you stop talking about the running backs helping the wide receivers? I, no, I'm just saying, if he can. You sound ridiculous. Look at how the Steelers have to be defended. They already have Giovanni Bernard. What about Giovanni Bernard? He's the true asset in the passing game. I know Joe Mixon has the Le'Veon Bell skill set, and he could crowd out some of Giovanni Bernard's targets, but... Let's just focus on the passing game assets. Why do you keep expanding the scope of these arguments to things that don't matter? Because I'm looking at it like defendable pieces. Joe Mixon can go outside as a threat the same way that Le'Veon Bell does. How many times do we see Le'Veon Bell? Giovanni Bernard does. Giovanni Bernard is fine, but he's not a threat in the backfield to do anything. When he's on the field... He's not a threat in the backfield to do anything? Are you listening to the words that are tumbling from your lips? Where have you been the last five years? Have you not seen what Giovanni Bernard can do on the football field? He makes defenders look stupid. Where is the statistic that shows you that Giovanni Bernard is a good runner? We're talking about dynamism in space. I, everybody knows that. That's what I'm saying, though. He's no threat to run the ball, so you defend differently when Gio's on the field than you did when Hill was on the field or when Mixon comes on the field because Mixon can do both things. Gio is not a good runner. I, he has not been a good runner, and that is a big reason why they probably took Joe Mixon in the second round. In 2015, Giovanni Bernard averaged 4.7 yards per carry, top 20 in the NFL. On how many carries? 154. Okay, that's my point, though. So it's not being you. That's not your point. You're just you were just invalidated. Your point was just it's not invalidated just now, and you just steamrolled right through it. Oh, that, that backs up my point. Yeah, that's my point I was making. No, that, that counters your point exactly. I couldn't have hoped for a better statistic to counter your point than what I just uttered. So what about last year then? Then we don't count last year with 3.7 yards per carry. That that doesn't matter. You asked me if there was evidence, and I told you about okay, 2015 All right. when he was healthy and he played well. He didn't have a good year last year, but that's mostly because of their offensive line. In 2015, they had a quality offensive line. 
top six in the NFL. And then in 2016, their offensive line was significantly diminished down to number 19 in the NFL. No offensive line collapsed more significantly last year than the Cincinnati Bengals. That's going to affect every running back that tries to take carries. Joe Mixon, Giovanni Bernard, all of them. I don't know how we ended up talking about the Cincinnati Bengals run game in a conversation that revolved around A.J. Green and John Ross, but leave it up to you to focus on the wrong details in a podcast. My screen's going nuts over here. I'm just trying to point out the fact that the team is going to have more weapons, and I'm always going to stand by the idea that the running back that isn't a threat as a runner between the tackles changes things. Everybody wants that player that can do everything. You repeating your point does not strengthen your argument. Do you understand that? Just saying the same words over and over does not somehow unlock the perception of the person receiving the argument. We, we get it. We know what your argument is. I'm telling you, it's not relevant to the conversation we're trying to have. I think we literally just did the same thing, and I believe the word is summarizing. But that's fine. We can move on. And the draft day losers, before we get into it, the winners and losers are brought to you today by Maisie, the app that is sweeping the fantasy football world in the chat community. If you've tried the text message game, if you've tried the Facebook chat game, Voxer, as Matt brings up, I think that died 20 years ago, but that's fine. If you're trying any of those things, Slack, stop. And make the switch now to Maisie. You can find it in your app store. We use it for the patrons league that I'm in. I use it in my dynasty leagues and other leagues. It's a great app. The layout is awesome. You get the communication with the guys in your league. You can take to the side and do a direct message so you can do deals on the slide privately, which is what I like to try and do. And it's a free app in the app store. And it's worked great for the league that we're in currently. Every week, I find a new cool feature on Maisie. This week, I found a feature that allows me to control the alerts based on the channel within the group. So we have different channels within each group. We have the chatter channel, and we have the league channel. The league channel is the more serious channel. The chatter channel is is less serious. And I can control which of the channels generates alerts. So I don't care if there's a bunch of chatter going on. I don't need to be alerted about it. When I have the time, I'll go check it out. But if there's a question about the Constitution or the rules, I need to know about it. So in those cases, I get alerts. So I love the control that Maisie allows. And it's also super easy to invite people to join these groups. You just give them a code and they can sign up without any personal information. So app is great. Love Maisie. They now have a fantasy-specific product which is just terrific they realized right away based on the roto underworld community embracing Maisie so quickly they realized oh oh we need to focus on features that fantasy footballers specifically want so if you support Maisie, then you're supporting an enterprise that is devoting a significant part of their product development to meeting the needs of fantasy gamers specifically. So that's why you should support that product. Go get Maisie, M-A-Z-E-Y on the App Store. Let's get to these losers. The number one loser. Hey, like we all know. If you think about it, you know who the number one loser is. Just think about it. Just start thinking. Let those wheels turn. In Nate's case, it's a gerbil wheel. It needs to be greased. Yeah. When I envision Nate, I just envision just a hollow head with a gerbil wheel. <laughs> that's that's better than you envisioning like 
10 guys pushing a, whatever that is, like a giant dowel around in a circle to power something. I, gerbil wheel's a little better. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Gerbil wheel's great, by the way. Uh, there are some people that follow me on Twitter that I have much less than a gerbil wheel. <laughs> but if you start to think about it, it becomes clear, it becomes obvious that number one loser, Cameron Brait. I love how people had Cameron Brait in their top 10. And not just anyone. Dynasty League experts, Cameron Brait in the top 10. This is the great thing about playerprofiler.com. Because we understand who these players are intrinsically, we don't get fooled by the Cameron Brates who post one good season. But their profile does not suggest that this player can be an annual tight end one in fantasy. The Cameron Brait breakout, the Cameron Brait breakout, or Brait out, as I like to call it. Nice was fake. It was so obviously fake because Cameron Brait just isn't big enough to be an every down tight end. You need to be at least 250 pounds, ideally 260 pounds, to be in the game in all game situations, particularly around the red zone when tight ends are able to secure those gimme touchdowns that fuel their fantasy production. Well, that's not what Cameron Brait was. Cameron Brait was a proper move tight end, a situational asset only. 6'5", 235. He was a tweener. He's a slot receiver. That's what he is. But a pumped-up slot receiver is not a long-term answer at the tight end position. That's what we've been telling you about Cameron Brait for months and months. And then the NFL draft happens, and I'm sitting back going, told you so! Of course, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers knew Cameron Brait wasn't the answer. They knew it. Roto Underworld knew it. Matt Kelly and Nate List knew it. But the majority of the Dynasty League experts, they didn't know it. Shame on them. This is a team in Tampa Bay that's been trying desperately to find a tight end that's going to emerge. You know, they brought in, remember Brandon Myers when he came in? Cameron Brait's dominator rating at Harvard was less than 20% at Harvard. What kind of wide receivers does Harvard have that would crowd out Cameron Brait in the passing game? I mean, please, get out of here with Cameron Brait. They've got to have somebody, but anyways. None of his workout metrics are above the 50th percentile. None. Andy's small, and he wasn't particularly productive at a small school. Why do we like Cameron Braid again? That was the question I was asking. He just happens to be thrust in a situation where it's Cameron Braid, it's Mike Evans, and then the next receiver on the totem pole is Adam Humphreys. That's the reason why Cameron Braid posted numbers last year, because he was just the last guy standing. It's not because he's a quality player! He came on at a time when people needed a tight end, and he was a streamable option. Yeah, I, there's there's nothing to love about Cameron Brait. Now, he's not going to go away, but his role is going to be yes, significantly he reduced. He's not going to totally disappear. Bye, Cameron. Bye. Okay. Bye. Anyways. Bye. The point is, this bye, is Cameron. a team that's been looking for bye. a tight end, and bye, they bye. went out and drafted heavily to get one, and they went up and they got O.J. Howard. So, bye. Bye, Cameron. Still saying bye to Cameron Bray, which is fine. Bye. He knows it. Maybe we could bring him on the show. I'm not yet ready, though, to say goodbye to Rob Kelly. I know they did it. They replaced Rob Kelly, my namesake. Broke my heart because I own a lot of Rob Kelly. But I also love Samaj P. Ryan. We've come on the show many times talking about Samaj P. Ryan and how it was really unfortunate that they shared a backfield, Samaj P. Ryan and Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon had the backfield to himself. Samaj P. Ryan had that backfield to himself. Woo! <laughs> but 
alas, we never got to see Samaj P. Ryan in a workhorse role, but I think we might in Washington because there really isn't anyone on the depth chart other than Rob Kelly to threaten Samaj P. Ryan. Samaj P. Ryan is a top five running back on the playerprofiler.com dynasty rankings because the running back depth chart in Washington was just so soft. Go check out our rankings, playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings, and you can see where we have Marlon Mack, Dalvin Cook. Some of those rankings might surprise you. So Rob Kelly's a big loser, but ultimately I think that it will take time. I think that he will open the season as the starter. I think that you can still draft Rob Kelly and start him in the first couple weeks and then trade him knowing that Samaj P. Ryan is absolutely coming for his job. Samaj P. Ryan is just a, a different type of player, too. He, he's a power athlete, and it's something that this team can utilize in this offense. Highly productive all the way through college. Matt touched on it with the Joe Mixon thing. Maybe his target share as a receiver would have been greater if Mixon wasn't in the picture because Mixon was such a good receiver. But he has it on his resume as well. And Rob Kelly was fine, but Rob Kelly's not the answer. Samaje Piran really could be the answer. And I, again, agree. You're probably going to get a couple weeks in the beginning where Rob Kelly's still that starter. Because Jay Gruden loves Rob Kelly. I mean, he cannot stop talking about how much he loves Fat Rob. Love Fat Rob. Got to get Fat Rob. Love Fat Rob. Fat Rob's the MVP of the team. Love me some Fat Rob. That's what they always say. They love Fat Rob. Love Fat Rob. But Fat Rob is no Samaj P. Ryan. No, he's not. And we talked about this before, too. This is a team that's been searching for a running back to ascend in that offense. Lots of red zone visits in that offense. Lots of red zone visits. And they've tipped their hand last year that Chris Thompson is only to be used strictly in passing situations. So knowing that, that means most of the running back touches are going to go to either Rob Kelly or Samaj P. Ryan. And because their profiles are so similar, eventually one of them is going to win out and become the workhorse. Okay, let's go to, let's go to number three on this list then, Matt. Finally, we're going to move to a quarterback. Draft day loser, Alex Smith, Kansas City Chiefs. Bye. Bye, Alex. Here's the deal with the Kansas City Chiefs and the way I look at it. I, I'm not going to be surprised if Pat Mahomes gets a start at some point in this year because he was drafted highly, and that's what you do generally, unless you're Jared Goff. Jared Goff started half the season. But this is a team. What are you talking about? Well, they were pushing for Goff to come out, and they didn't know if he was ready. I think Goff got pushed in before he was even ready, despite where he was drafted. You mean Paxton Lynch? Paxton Lynch only started one game, and he saw action in two or three. Yeah, but wasn't Paxton Lynch like pick number 25 and Jared Goff was pick number one? I mean, they, What they, I'm telling you is the exception is a Paxton Lynch. Most of the time, you're right, the first-round draft picks start the majority of the games. Here's the issue, though, with Alex Smith. Alex Smith may not be the answer to getting you to a Super Bowl. No! But... Really? He's good enough to get you all the way to the playoffs and make you a competitive team and not turn the ball over. All the way to the playoffs. I'm just saying. So what do you do? What do you do with Pat Mahomes here? Are you saying that Pat Mahomes is going to come in and, and get this defense and this team to the same place that Alex Smith would in his first year? I don't know. I feel like you would leave Alex Smith in, let Pat Mahomes apprentice and give him some time. And if things go sideways. Are you familiar with Alex Smith's work? <laughs> yes, I'm familiar with Alex Smith's work. I mean, what, what am I missing here? How is Patrick Mahomes not a better option? Because he has no NFL experience. That Point blank. That's a very simple response. Point blank. No NFL experience. None. Not one snap. 
You don't think he can check it down? That's all Alex Smith ever does. Throw it up to Travis Kelsey and check it down to the running back. What else is he going to do? That's that's the bare minimum requirement. Alex Smith is a baseline cardboard cutout quarterback. Of course, at some point during the season, they're going to look at Patrick Mahomes and go, okay, kid, you're better than the baseline. Go ahead. That's what they, they know they're in win now mode. The Chiefs have a win now team. Their defense is in its prime. They have pass rushers. They have elite defensive backs and an incredible linebacker core. And quality defenses are fleeting in the NFL. They need to win and they need to win now and they need to go for it all. They can't be dicking around Alex Smith. Okay, you can't put Pat Mahomes in after what you just said and expect him to get him there. Okay, how many rookies have taken a team to the promised land. Roethlisberger did it a year after. Yeah, Roethlisberger went to an AFC championship game as a rookie. That would be a win for the Kansas City Chiefs, would it not? Yes, that's the outlier scenario, though. And they were picked at the same draft slot. That's the outlier scenario. I mean, the odds of Pat Mahomes coming in and doing that, I really don't think that the Chiefs, if this season's going the way that they expect it to, if they're 9-2... and You can't win a Super Bowl with Alex Smith, period. You cannot do it. I know people say, oh, well... Trent Dilfer, but the Baltimore Ravens in 2000 had a generational defense. They had the best defense we've seen in 10 years. The Chiefs defense is good. It's not Baltimore Ravens good. So if you don't have a Baltimore Ravens level defense, then you need to play Patrick Mahomes. Otherwise, you're conceding that you'll never win a Super Bowl. I don't know where Pat Mahomes fits in the starting quarterback opportunity here. I I don't know when he comes in because really and truly, I don't think that he is a better option year one with zero experience than Alex Smith. He is. He's not. How can you even say that? Because he was the best quarterback in this entire draft when you look at production and physical tools. No one compares to him. He had an upper percentile college QBR and yards per attempt. He was an incredibly efficient runner. Whenever he decided to pull the ball down, what did he do? He scrambled for extra yards and touchdowns, and he was able to post incredibly prolific numbers. I understand it was the Big 12, and they don't play defense in that particular conference, but 700-plus yards and two rushing touchdowns against Oklahoma? Oh, my God. Have you ever seen a quarterback post that many 400-yard games in a season? Just incredible. Look, I appreciate his college numbers. The point is that this is the NFL. And he has the strongest throwing arm. And he's a great scrambler. He's incredibly mobile. What am I missing? You're missing the fact that he hasn't played in the NFL yet. So what? Alex Smith will get this team to where they need to be. Will he win a title? I don't know. Were you happy when the Seattle Seahawks turned to Russell Wilson and said, this is your team as a rookie? Did that make you happy? Or would you have preferred that they stick with Matt Flynn? The team, no, of course, because you look at him as a rookie. He was productive in college. He was a good player. He was a third-round pick. No, Russell Wilson was the most efficient quarterback in the history of college football in his final year at Wisconsin. He was a epic college quarterback. Russell Wilson was the truth, and the fact that he was drafted in the third round was a crime. Nobody thought that Matt Flynn was the answer, but the problem is that you start a rookie, and yeah, you look at your team, and you're in a win-now window. Of course, Russell Wilson, again, is an outlier, similar to the way Dak Prescott was an outlier, the way Ben Roethlisberger was an outlier. So is Patrick Mahomes. I'm arguing that Patrick Mahomes is absolutely an outlier because we've never seen a quarterback with his 
physical tools and playing style. It's never existed. That's why he's been such a conundrum for NFL evaluators. We had NFL evaluators that had him the number one quarterback on the board by a wide margin and others that had him outside their top five because they didn't know what to make of this guy. He has the air of Brett Favre around him and the Chiefs had him as their number one quarterback on their board. Clearly. I'm a gambling man, and anybody that's willing to bet on an outlier is taking the worst odds imaginable. The odds are this. 0% chance of winning a Super Bowl with Alex Smith. Not true. The odds are more than zero. Come on. With Patrick Mahomes. They're not much higher than zero, but they are measurably above zero with Patrick Mahomes. I'm not saying that Patrick Mahomes will not have a ceiling to get them there. Obviously, he will. I'm just saying that Alex Smith is the safest option for this team because, okay, if Patrick Mahomes comes in, let's say they start him. Let's say they start him week one, throw him right out there. What if this team loses three of its first five games, four of the first seven? Are you the guy that's staying on 16 when the dealer's showing a 10 in Vegas? You are. You're that ultra-careful guy that all the other blackjack players cannot stand at the blackjack table. The guy that's staying on 16 when the dealer's showing a face card. You're doing that, aren't you? That's what you sound like right now. You sound like that guy. I'm supposed to hit so that I bust and supposedly, magically, the dealer flips over the top card. Do you wear a condom when you get blowjobs? Who wears a condom when they get blow? Who gets blowjobs? The extreme risk averse in our population, which is what I believe you are. That's fine. You can take the absolute outlier approach. I'm not taking the absolute outlier approach. I'm betting on a number that's above zero. You're betting on zero. Here's the fact of the matter. The fact of the matter is Alex Smith has no more than one year as the starter in Kansas City. And whether that's one game or no games or 16 games, I don't know. But he's got one year and that's it. That's the fact of the matter. We don't know when Mahomes comes in. We don't know how good Mahomes will be when he comes in. But we do know based on where they drafted him that 2017 is the last year that Alex Smith is the starting quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs unless Mahomes has an injury. Because I think Alex Smith is going to want to go somewhere else and be a starter. And that's fine. He's not a starting caliber quarterback in the NFL. He fits the profile perfectly of an NFL backup. That's what you want in your NFL backup. A guy that does not have the ability to take over a game, but he does have the ability to come in and not lose the game for you. That's what you want in your backup quarterback. A careful game manager who won't lose the game for you, but won't win it for you either. That's fine in a backup quarterback. That's not how championships are won at the NFL level. Get out of here with Alex Smith. Alex Smith may be a perennial playoff quarterback, but he's a loser. Oh my God. Alex Smith is a loser. And speaking of losers, I do a show every week for the supporters of the Roto Underworld Radio program on Patreon. Go to patreon.com, type in Podfather, and you can support the show and you get access to a additional show every week. A bonus show is there for you if you join the community. Have you listened to any of these backstage passes? I know you have access. Yes, I have. And they're good. Yeah, it's it's great to get additional content from Matt Kelly. I know there's a lot of people out there that are big fans and they probably haven't signed up for this. And this is an opportunity to get a little more. 25% more, which is 25% more than you would get if you were betting on Alex Smith to win a Super Bowl. Stop it. So I had a patron. And this guy was was pretty active in the community. But at the same time, he was also an asshole. But I allowed him to exist in the community because he was a supporter, which was a mistake. And what ended up happening was in the last show that I did, the last backstage pass... 
I was lamenting trolls and I was lamenting those that don't appreciate my advice. So if someone asks me who I should start or who I should pick up, I tell them and then they use that as a jumping off point to argue with me about a player and then become aggressive and insult me. A troll. Right. So on this Backstage Pass episode, I was lamenting the existence of trolls on Twitter and trolls wherever you can access me. And the irony is this person then trolled me on Patreon in the comment board of a show about trolls. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. And he ended up being the first person I ever removed from the Patreon platform. He also happened to be a member of one of our listener leagues, and I replaced him from a listener league. (laughs) So he lost his team. He lost his ability to access backstage passes. Why? Because he's calling me names. And I just don't accept that. Sorry. That's the one thing that you're not allowed to do, right? On this show, on any platform, what do we always talk about, Nate? Don't insult people's uh, looks. And uh, I don't know. I don't really listen to what we do on here. We don't insult people's intrinsic traits. There you go. And we don't name call. We don't call people idiots. And we don't make fun of how they look. It's easy. There's just a couple rules. You violate those rules, you're gone. So I remove this guy. And I start to get emails from him. And he's upset. And in Gmail, you can see the email history very easily. And I started to piece it together. I was like, oh, this is the guy that sent me a 10-paragraph manifesto on why I'm wrong about Kevin White. And it felt like the end of the movie Seven, where I open up the box to this email, and I'm like, oh, no! And it's all starting to come together. And I realize, oh, no. Oh, no. I should have never allowed this creepster to be on the patron platform in the first place, to be in a listener league. What was I doing? I was just irresponsible allowing him in the door and then i start to receive these emails from him where he's both simultaneously apologizing and then attacking me in the very next sentence just incredibly inconsistent sentiments in these emails and i couldn't even read them all because they're just too much and it was a way for this person to vent because clearly he was upset that he was banished from the community. But he was unable to apologize because every time he would step to the ledge of an apology, he would then pivot to an insult. It was almost like he thought we were on the verge of makeup sex. <laughs> and I'm staring at my, my emails thinking, oh my God, like he's having a hard time coming to terms with what's happened. I might actually have my first stalker. So I was like, oh, that's cool. That's another check mark on my rocket ship to fame and fortune on your quest to becoming a celebrity. Everyone needs a stalker, right? How could you become a big deal without eventually obtaining a stalker, right? Yeah, exactly. That That's the first step to climbing to the very, very top. Some people never get a stalker. It starts with one mat and then you just got a gaggle of them. But it doesn't stop there. The next thing I know... He copy and pasted the email in which I explained to him why he was being kicked out because I was very polite. I explained to him, here's why we have to remove you from the league because you're making me uncomfortable. And there's now been an established behavior, aggressive, negative sentiments sent in some electronic fashion, whether it's in a forum, whether it's tweets, whether it's emails. So I'm laying it out for him because I thought he deserved an explanation. That was a mistake. Trolls do not deserve explanations. Any engagement just fuels their hostility. So he takes my email and he sends it out to every fantasy analyst for which he has an email address. 
<laughs> like, that happened. That happened. And, and he's asking them, should I have beef with Matt Kelly? He's almost having an out-of-body experience sending these emails out asking how he should feel about me. And wow, that just took it to a whole new level. So now I have fantasy analysts throughout the day today emailing me, asking me if I was okay, asking me if they should be concerned about this individual. So really unsettling stuff. And I'm like, no, no, you don't need to forward this guy's emails to law enforcement. This dude is just butthurt because he thought we were friends. And then he was reminded that I would never befriend someone who likes Kevin White. And his feelings got hurt when I held up a mirror to him and he realized that he's just a creepy internet troll. And now he's having a reckoning. And part of the reckoning is he has to go through this process of lashing out. Boom. Long-winded weird email. Boom. Weird not Podfather Twitter parody account created. Boom. Embarrassing himself by emailing every person in the fantasy football community for which he has an email address. <laughs> but unfortunately for him, now every fantasy analyst knows that he's an obsessed internet stalker and are blocking him. He's like Robert De Niro in the movie The Fan. Who was the baseball player? Was it Barry Bonds? That he was supposed to, that Wesley Snipes was supposed to be? Was Wesley Snipes playing Barry Bonds? Because it was the Giants, right? Yeah, he, I, maybe he was supposed to be Barry Bonds. I don't know. Anyway, I'm Wesley Snipes. Anytime that I can okay. weave an analogy where I'm Wesley Snipes, I want to <laughs> weave that analogy. That's a great analogy for me. So in this <laughs> scenario, I'm Wesley Snipes. That's it's good. It's a good fit. And the Robert De Niro character is played by a creepy internet troll named Frank Schoenberg. Stalker Frank. I have his address. I have his headshot. So I'm not going to feel sorry for myself and cry about having a creepy, scary stalker guy out there. Instead, I'm going to do what everyone should do, which is to stand up for yourself when this happens to you. This Frank Schoenberg has three Twitter handles. At Frank Schoenberg. At Ka underscore boom 22. Stupid Twitter handle. <laughs> and at not the pod father. So feel free to block those Twitter accounts. Not the pod father. I mean, that's just perfect, right? I mean, of course he created a parody account called not the pod father because that's exactly what you would expect from obsessive compulsive internet stalker. And when he launched his scorned lover electronic vendetta... <laughs> Do you know who was the first person to follow at not the podfather? Guess. Just guess. Just guess. I... Nate. Uh, guess who was the person, the first one okay. to follow at not the podfather on Twitter? Jeff Miller. <laughs> <laughs> right? I, But it's just so funny whenever you say the words Jeff Miller together. I just laugh. It's so funny. <laughs> no, his name's Tim Torch. Uh-oh. Tim Torch, an analyst from Under the Helmet, which is just so perfect because Tim Torch, like Stalker Frank, does not like Matt Kelly. Get in line. <laughs> Nate, you love it. Come on, you like me. Yeah, I, I haven't followed that parody account yet. I reserve the right to do so. Here's the problem, though. This is not one of those cheeky parody accounts like C.D. Carter has. It's not clever or funny. It's not witty. This guy's just heartbroken, and he's lashing out. 
that does not make for a good follow. Okay, so I received some information, something that Tim Torch posted in regards to a little squabble that started recently over a trade offer. What? In a league that you guys are playing in together. You haven't heard about this yet? Where? Where did you see this? It was just sent to me privately in a DM from somebody. I'm not going to name names, but I received it in a DM. What was it about? Well, I'll, I'll read it if you want me to read it. Do you want to hear what this says? I'd love to hear it. This has been a great day for me so far. <laughs> It'll get better. All right, well, here we go. I want to be clear. If anyone else pulls what Matt Kelly did to me or to anyone else in this league, I am out. I get bit liking a deal and rejecting an offer with strong comment. But if anyone tries to publicly humiliate me or anyone else in this league, I am out. This was not the intention of this league to humiliate one another. You guys are great, but I don't want to humiliate anyone. I will share trades and get votes. I will not publicly try to shame anyone. I have a message for Tim Torch. What the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) Shame who? Shame what? What the fuck are you talking about, Tim? Are you talking about that trade that you sent me? That asinine trade? Because I did post a message on Twitter mocking Tim Torch's ridiculous trade offer. He offered me. Get this. Hunter Henry for... (laughs) I can't get this out without laughing. Bear with me. (laughs) Hunter Henry... who was a young Cameron Brait last year, a move tight end Uh. who experienced inflated counting stats because the other receivers in the passing game fell down around him, an overrated prospect from the beginning with artificially inflated volume in 2016. That's the guy I'm supposed to get excited about. Hunter Henry, the backup tight end for the Chargers. Really? Okay, okay. So he's offering me Hunter Henry. Oh, thank you, Tim. Thank you for this offer. I can't wait to see who I have to give up for Hunter Henry. I'm so excited. I'm about to get Hunter Henry. Oh, my God. Oh. (laughs) I'm hard right now, Nate. I'm hard. I'm hard. I'm hard. The desk is lifting because... It's such a rock-hard boner that the entire desk is lifting up. Just the thought of getting Hunter Henry from Tim Torch. Oh, this is... Oh, my God. I can't. All I have to give up. This is it. And this is a deal. All he needs from me. This feels like a timeshare pitch right now. This is all he needs. Tyler Eifert and Willie Sneed. Sounds fine, Tim. Why not? Accept. <laughs> what do you think of that deal? Sorry, it wasn't a deal. Of course, I rejected it with a million laughing, crying emojis. But what do you think of that offer? I saw how this all transpired on Twitter. And to be honest with you, just Tyler Eifert for Hunter Henry alone. It's laughable. Right? Laughable. And then- Laugh out loud funny that he would think that. And then to add Willie Sneed... It's the heights of trade absurdity. I mean, that that means that Tyler Eifert and Hunter Henry are such a difference in value that it would literally take the value of Willie Sneed on top of Tyler Eifert 
to equate to the value of Hunter Henry. On the playerprofiler.com dynasty rankings, we have Tyler Eifert in the top three. We don't have Hunter Henry in the top 10. There you go. Because we don't base our valuation system just on a partial season of production. Started a handful of games and posted 10 fantasy points per game. Oh, he did it as a rookie. He was young. Should be no surprise that the person who offered me this trade works for none other than... Under the helmet. Under the helmet. <laughs> this is perfect. I mean, this is just... This is, I mean, seriously. You can't make this stuff up. You can't make this up. So I think it was absolutely fair that I reminded Under the Helmet's Tim Torch that drugs are bad for you after receiving that trade offer. I think that was absolutely a fair thing to do on Twitter and not something that he should object to and certainly not something that's worth going to the league forum and bursting into tears. (laughs) Also, who the hell are you to object to me poking fun at your trade offer when you're an offer spammer? Offer spammers have no right to object to any jokes that are made by the receivers of their spam. Want to know why? Because the moment that one of these ridiculously imbalanced trade offers comes in, it interrupts whatever I'm doing. It kills the flow of whatever task I was undertaking at that moment. And that is a disrespectful imposition. That's why spam has a negative connotation. That's why email marketers are loathed in our society. So if you are sending me one of these spam, preposterous, lowball offers, I will always and without fail take it upon myself to shine a light on this imposition on social media. Also, it's great content. I mean, it got like 17 likes. <laughs> good. It's out there. I mean, it was a great tweet. I tweeted at him. I didn't even put it on my timeline. And enough people saw it that I got 17 likes. That means it was an exceptional tweet. There are very few tweets I've ever sent just to a singular person that got 17 likes. So don't take it up with me, Tim Torch. Take it up with Twitter because Twitter enjoyed it. Twitter thought it was a good idea. I'm pretty sure I hit like. So Tim Torch, you have to eat it. It's <laughs> good. Yeah, I saw it on there. Um, I, you're justified. I saw the trade offer, and I I don't know where he was. Maybe he, you know, maybe he accidentally cat went across the keyboard thing, sent that trade offer because there's just no way that you would think that that would be a a justified deal. Oh no 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 no! I, I asked him about it on Twitter, and he defended it. Should have gone with the cat because he's a youth chaser. He's a part of the UTH. Zombie army, 22 years old, top three tight end. What? Get the hell out of here with Hunter Henry. Show me a tight end one season at some point. Maybe I'll be interested. Fucking Hunter Henry. And don't call it shaming, accusing me of Twitter shaming him. It's a bit dramatic, don't you think, Tim? Shaming. Never has more been made out of a benign tweet in the history of fantasy football than Tim Torch complaining that I shamed him. Oh, guys. What Matt Kelly did was uncalled for. He wrote, just say no to drugs, Tim, and screenshotted an offer I sent. It was just so hurtful. It's something that I really didn't appreciate because I'm just out here trying to send offers out 
in hopes that I can catfish someone into accidentally <laughs> accepting the accept button. <laughs> Just the most ridiculous lowball offers you've ever seen because maybe someone will accept. I've sent out 1,100 offers just tonight. <laughs> and one of them are going to be accepted. It's a pretty good ROI, nonetheless. <laughs> nonetheless, it's just really mean that he would post it on Twitter and tell me not to do drugs. Oh, God. Listen, everybody. If he does that again, because he might, because I'm going to send him another lowball offer because I can't help myself. <laughs> so if he does it again, I'm going to think very long and hard about leaving this league forever. <laughs> I, I love Tim Torch threatening to leave the league over the most benign tweet I've ever sent. That also got 15 likes and everyone loved. That's <laughs> good. Because him threatening to leave the league is actually an empty threat that serves as a passive-aggressive affront to me. See, how I read that is not, I'm going to leave if Matt Kelly does it again. It's actually a warning to Matt Kelly that he should not mock another offer. Or, I will petition the league to remove him. So when I read this, I read this as Tim Torch tilling the ground so that in the future he can rise up with his partisans having already warned me about this inappropriate behavior and call upon the league to banish the evildoer Matt Kelly and his hurtful tweets. I'll read it again because it got 17 likes so it deserves to be read again. It reads... <laughs> At Tim NFL, just say no to drugs, comma, space, Tim. And it has a screenshot of his ludicrous offer that no one in the history of fantasy football would ever consider accepting for a second. So, Tim, I will say this definitively to you because I know you listen to this show and I don't listen to your show. <laughs> yeah. I see nothing wrong with mocking bad trade offers on social media, and I will continue to do it until I die, until my heart stops beating. I will mock one-sided sham trade offers. That is my official response to at Tim NFL. Do you have anything to add, Nate? Yeah, I got something to add, Matt. What's up with the trade offer, Tim? That felt like attempted larceny. Although I'm not surprised it did come off very Chad Parsony. And what's up with UTH? Why did it part with Veach? I mean, he was the only one I wouldn't mute when he started to speak. And it's like I told Matt, I'm done with rap, even though I've got bars for weeks. I'm a father now. It's just not responsible for me to be a part of beefs. But you know Matt, he's a loose cannon who gets charged for these. Oh, and by the way, congrats on the 300th episode. I threw it on last night when it was hard to sleep.
Are we ready for takeoff? Tim Torch has been torched. The whole time, I'm just imagining Tim Torch listening to the show and just imagining his face just ashen. can imagine him just completely panicking. I wanted to put something in about putting out the torch or passing the torch. I was like, fuck, man, I don't have time to do all that. I might put it on if I'm trying to sleep. Oh, my God. There's going to be a conversation between Tim and Chad being like, you can't talk about them on a message board like that. Anything to get in there, they're going to seize on it, Tim. You can't do that. You've got to be level-headed, Tim. you got to be strong. People by now have to know that this show is definitely about jumping people's shit. I don't know why the word larceny popped in my head. And then I was like, fuck, it's so perfect. Larceny. I'm doing it. That's how you do it. You just latch on a word and you back into it. Yeah, that's a good episode. Nate, every single Dynasty person listens to this show. Everyone has told me that everyone they know in Dynasty listens to this show, without exception. Wow, that thing's going to be a game changer. Absolute game changer. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. What about Giovanni Bernard? Good job, by the way. Fuck NFL teams. (laughs) Pushing uh, whatever that is, like a giant dowel around in a circle to power something. Gerbil wheel's a little better. And then you get sucked into the Matt Kelly tornado to never be heard from again. Get out of here. No one wants to visualize your seasonal ball hang. Bye. Bye, Alex. Who gets blowjobs? That's the reason why Cameron Brake posted numbers last year, because he was just the last guy standing. It's not because he's a quality player. I think you're reading into it more than what it actually is. For too long, people have been bashing Dalvin Cook's agility score. And again, on film, really, they don't make sense. He must have screwed up during his drills because it just doesn't make sense. But I think people are taking these clips and they're like, look, it's not about him juking the guy as much as it is the way he's moving. And he doesn't move like a guy who ran a 7-2-7 or whatever his three cone was. Whatever number it was that I have chosen to forget. Was he drunk? Maybe. Maybe he was. I would rather go with that than for him to admit that he was fully prepared and that was the best he was capable of. Because he just doesn't. You would rather Dalvin Cook be a full-blown drunk as long as it can nullify the three cone. I picked some flowers, but they're dead. Who gets blowjobs? It's perfect. It's just so perfect. It's just pinch me perfect 25% more which is 25% more than you would get if you were betting on Alex Smith to win a Super Bowl stop it it was almost like he thought we were on the verge of makeup sex stop it Hunter Henry I'm so excited I'm about to get Hunter Henry oh my god oh I'm hard right now Nate I'm hard stop it It's such a rock-hard boner that the entire desk is lifting up. Just the thought of getting Hunter Henry from Tim Torch. Oh, this is... Oh, my God, I can't... (gasps) (laughs) That sounds fine, Tim. Why not? Accept. (laughs) Stop it. So, Tim Torch, you have to eat it. Stop it. And I will continue to do it until I die. Until my heart stops beating. Yeah, I got something to add, Matt. 
All right, you're gonna have to cut this out because you're making me laugh right now. Go! All right, here we go. What's up with the trade offer, Tim? That felt like attempted larceny. Although I'm not surprised it did come off very Chad Parsony. And what's up with UTH? Why did it part with Veach? I mean, he was the only one I wouldn't mute when he started to speak. And it's like I told Matt, I'm done with rap, even though I've got bars for weeks. I'm a father now. It's just not responsible for me to be a part of beefs. But you know Matt, he's a loose cannon who gets charged for these. Oh, and by the way, congrats on the 300th episode. I threw it on last night when it was hard to sleep. episode that might have been the best episode ever they got family dynamics behind the scenes they got rap they got uth war they got incredibly specific breakdowns of cameron Bright. <laughs>